sorry. Oh, I thought, sorry about that. <laughs> I thought I put my, uh, good thing it's not live streaming, right? Um, <clears throat> I think uh, one of the, uh, the uh, one of the uh, underappreciated truths, in, uh, truths that we hold dear to us is that, that God uses people like us to advance his cause. Uh, I think it, it's, not, it's not because um, he really needs our help, right? If you think about it, He's a God who created this whole vast universe at his command. And he still, even at this moment, he upholds everything. He sustains everything, right, by his power. So he certainly does not need us to do his work, to to get his work done. He really doesn't really need us. And yet, by his sovereign choice, that God raises us, God uses us to accomplish his purpose, right? So amazingly, he calls us, he includes us in the unfolding of his plan. So if you you stop and think about it, because, you know, we are so busy with our daily lives that we don't really think about something like this, but if you stop and think about it, right, that is a pretty amazing thing. It is a really humbling thing that God of this, the almighty God would call us, he would invite us to be part of his plan, part of what, he's, what he wants to accomplish in this world. And he says, come along, right? And it would be a mistake to think that, that somehow that God's hands are tied, right, without us. You know, I think uh, we got to make sure that, that we don't really have that Messiah complex. Oh, you know, I think a lot of times it's the, the leaders, right? We tend to have that kind of Messiah complex. Oh, things cannot be done without us, without me, right? Without my ministry, right? Things cannot be really done. But we have to understand that God is sovereign, and God will, whatever that, uh, that will happen, he will, he will make it happen, right? And, it's according, and everything will go according to his purpose, but he has chosen to include us. And another observation that we can make is that before God uses people, God uses a person, he puts that person through some training. He will train the people that he will raise and use. It may look different from person to person, And I'm not just talking about going to seminary or some kind of Bible school or anything like that. But I am talking about the process that God uses to prepare the person for his specific purpose, right? At different stages of life, God may have different purpose for us. And as far as I know, God has made everyone whom he has called and raised go through a crucible, right? It's like, um, you know, like the gold, right? It has a lot of impurities. So it has to go through the refining fire to just uh, burn off all the dross, all the impurities to come out on the other side as a pure gold. And that's what God does to us. 
when God calls us to a specific, God has a purpose for us. For, for him to really, uh, to raise us and to use us, he will make us go through these trainings and processes. When God calls someone to his, for his purpose, he does not simply say, hey, go and execute, right? This is what it is. This is what I want you to do. Just go and do it. He or she goes through extensive training. Moses, before he was, he was called to lead Israelites, Israelites out of Egypt, he, you know, I mean, he grew up as a prince of Egypt, right? Had all the power and prestige. But then when he realized, uh, uh, you know, but he was, you know, to, to really work on him, he was driven out, I mean, because of killing the Israel, uh, Egyptian uh, slave master, right? He had, to, he had to just flee for his life. And he was in the wilderness for 40 years. Somehow, um, so he had to just think a lot about, you know, uh, whatever that he was, uh, think about his own self, right? Jesus' disciples spent over three years with him before, with all the mishaps. But in the end, you know, they were thrust into leading the newly formed church after his, uh, after his ascension, right? Paul, same thing. After he th- went through that, uh, the, the experience, radical conversion experience, he had to go into the desert, and he had to really just uh, really deal with all, the whole thing. He had to be trained by the Lord. And in this training school, we may wonder what kind of, like, as we go through all those uh, training, we can kind of wonder, so what would be the final step then? Uh, before being really, uh, released for his mission. It's almost kind of like the Jedi training too, right? Like, like Luke or whoever else, right? They had to just go through the process and there had to be some you know, final training before they, they were released or become really truly Jedi. And so sometimes we, we would assume that our final training uh, before whatever the mission and the purpose that God has given to us would be something very complicated, very sophisticated, something that is, um, you know, very, yeah, very, like, high-level stuff, right? Very theological or whatever. I remember uh, my final, final year in college, uh, I was in engineering school, and so what they required all the engineering school students to do was to write a thesis paper. So basically, four years of learning all the engineering stuff, we had to write a paper, to, to demonstrate our competence in, in, in all the stuff that we had to read, uh, we, had, we have learned. So it wasn't about like, you know, talking about like calculus uh, or like basic, uh, basic like, I don't know, uh, math stuff or anything like that. You had to kind of demonstrate that over the four years of your college life, this is what I have learned. So with this, this is what I, you know, so you had to demonstrate, right? So the final, the final thesis paper, because without it, we couldn't graduate. Right? So how I remember being so stressed right, that it couldn't have been something really elementary stuff. I had to like, show the professor that, that I knew my stuff, right? at least some of the stuff. So that's what we would expect from, from God to, like, for, for us to be released for our, whatever that God is calling us to, that the final step would be very sophisticated theological stuff. But would that really be the case? This passage 
reveals the final training that David has gone through before becoming king of Israel. Because actually, uh, we didn't get to read, but after this uh, passage, there's a battle that follows this passage. And then after that, David becomes, I don't know if you noticed, like after this, um, basically it goes into 2 Samuel, and then that is the beginning of his reign. So after this battle that follows this passage, he becomes king. And after all that he has gone through, really, this passage, this is the final training before being anointed as king. You know, we may expect God to test him on something that is very high-level stuff, right? But we see something very different here. So let me just give you a little background, because I know this is, uh, it just comes out of nowhere, and so uh, let me give you the background of this story. So for some time, David has been chased and hunted by King Saul, and so out of desperation, I mean, he was running out of places to hide, and so out of desperation, David turns to Achish, the Philistine king, for protection. So what he does is say, I'm going to offer my service to you. He, and he has some following. So he says, me and my uh, guys, we will serve you, right? So, so he was asking for protection. And, but the, who are the Philistines? They're the nemesis of Israel, right? But he had just no choice. He had nowhere else to turn and to escape from Saul and his army. So he turns to the nemesis of Israelites, Before all all this trouble, we know that he was anointed by Samuel, prophet Samuel. But, you know, because of Saul's jealousy, he really had to flee for his life. And David ends up in the Philistine camp. So, and then uh, David and his men settles in this place called Ziklag that we read about here. uh, So he settles with with, uh, a few hundred men who had followed him and their family. And what they would do is uh, they would go out to, the, to, to, uh, to different places and raid inhabitants. Some of them were uh, like the Amalekites that, that we read in this passage and other people, but they would never touch the Israelites. I mean, that's where they came from, right? So they, they would never go near Israelites, but all these other neighboring uh, people group tribes, they would raid but then after that, what he would do is he would give false reports to Achish, saying that he had raided Israelites, right? We've been just going and really just killing or just looting and all these things off of the Israelites and kind of giving him false impression to Achish that David has indeed burned the bridge with Israel. So that's how, that's how he survived. And that's the only way he, he felt like to earn the trust of Achish, and um, just be, stay safe. And in chapter 29, the Philistines are now going to war against Saul and Israel. So now, David is stuck between a, uh, in a rock and a hard place. Because if David does not join the military campaign, Achish would no longer trust him, and actually his life would be in danger. Hey, I thought you were actually raiding Israelites, and how come you are not coming with us to defeat the, the Israelites? Right? So he would be in trouble not only from Saul, but from Achish as well. So, but if he goes to war against his own people, 
He can never become a king of Israel. Why would anybody make him king if he's attacking his own people? But, so he was, in a, he was basically stuck. What's he going to do? Go or don't go, right? But by God's intervening grace, the Philistine commanders do not trust David. King trusts David, but his commanders would not trust him. Hey, he's gonna, when he comes with us to battle against Israel, he's going to, just to make peace with King Saul, he's going to strike us down and try to just kill us and then just go, hey, look what I've done right, against the Philistines. So he, they, they would not trust David. So he was, uh, uh, so they were told to go back to Ziklag. Basically, David is spared, right, from a terrible predicament here. And then that's where we come to this passage. So after two days, on the third day, David and their, uh, his men would come back to Ziklag, where their family, family is, right? And while they are gone, the Amalekites, they raided the city and t- uh, burned it down and took all their family members. So you could imagine, you could understand why David and his men were weeping until there was, they had no strength left. Because they just were away. They were going out to fight against Israel along with the Philistines, but they were told to go back. So they come back and they're like, whew, what a relief, right? We are spared, thank God. Come back only to see their uh, places burned down and all their families are gone, right? So they were weeping. They were devastated. And his men here, this passage says that his men got so bitter and angry at David they, they, that they talked about stoning him, right? So he's greatly distressed. I mean, who wouldn't be, right? Your own people, your own men are turning on against you. But he finds strength in the Lord. He understood the true strength of, uh, source of strength is the Lord God. He's the only one who has I will rescue him. So no matter what, he turns to him and finds fortitude. So he musters up his men somehow and pursues after the Amalekites and destroys them. And, and none of the, the captives were, was hurt. It was a miracle that the Amalekites, because you know, when David and his men went to Amalekites and raided their cities, he left no one left, uh, survive, right? So that no one would ever just go, go to Achish and tell him, hey, he wasn't really just uh, raiding the, the Israelite you know, uh, towns. He raided us, right? So he made sure, but Amalekites somehow spared everybody, right? So no one was hurt. And afterwards, he finds out Saul and all his sons, so basically the heirs, are gone. They die in the very battle that he was supposed to go out. Uh, he, he, was, uh, he was asked to leave by the Philistines. And after all that, after Saul and his sons all died in that very battle, and then uh, David become, he's then anointed as king of Israel. So here, we see that he went through the final training before his calling as king. Now, I'm not saying that God was done with training David, because the training for all of us, it lasts a lifetime. But when it comes to his becoming king, this was the final 
uh, this was a final one. So then what did God intend to show David here? We wonder why it took so long from the time Samuel anointed David when he was still a young man, or he, he was a little boy, right, uh, to be king, to actually, his, actually becoming king of Israel. What was all these years of living a life of fugitive, right? What was all, all that for? Why didn't when Samuel anointed David, why didn't he become king right then and there? Why did it take all this time? Because there are a couple things I believe that God wanted to show and teach David. And the first thing is that, that David is but a, oh, yeah, David is but a, a, a frail man. So that's something that God wanted to teach here, especially. And throughout all those years, the training was that God wanted to teach him that he is a, he's but a frail man. You know, he's, David has had a lot of um, success, military successes, right? I mean, he has, God has graciously granted him many victories. So in, in, in Israel, he was like a rock star, right? I mean, he had huge following, actually more than, more than King Saul, right? He really has, as far as we know, he hasn't really tasted failures, right, as, as a commander, uh, in, in, in the Israel, uh, Israel's army, right? Can you, uh, can you imagine him becoming a youthful king, being only accustomed to success, right? Ever since he had to flee from, from Saul, however, he had, to, uh, he had to be constantly on the run, right? Fearing for his life. And this was all part of God's training, he had to act. Sometimes he would, there was a passage where David actually had to act as a mad, insane man before a king, not from Achish. So he had to just, he had to drool, right? And so he's like, his life was running down his like beard, right? Acting like a crazy man. So king was like, get, get this guy away from him. He's not the David that we, we heard of, right? He's a crazy guy. I don't need a guy like that. And in the end, he turned to the nemesis of Israel just to survive. But by having David live in desperation, God taught him to live in absolute dependence on him. It is unlikely that David would have really understood this had he lived a posh life, right? If all he did was success after success, right, Uh, when he was young. And just having victory after victory, would he really truly turn to God at every turn or truly believe at the core of his heart that he is indeed his refuge? He is his salvation. Any shred of pride he may have had had to be dealt with. So here, throughout all this training, he gets humbled. And David, especially in this passage, he becomes a broken man. Right? He had to be broken before God. If you read a lot of like Psalms, Psalm that we just read uh, in, in, in a call to, call to worship passage, and many other Psalms, right? You see how he's in distress. He's so 
out of desperation. He is so urgent. He's like, God, please come and help me. Deliver me. People are surrounding me. There are so many people that, that conspire against me. Please save me, O Lord. And to us, because we are just reading it, it really doesn't touch us. But for him, his life was really literally at stake. People that are literally coming after him. So imagine if we become the enemy of the state, right? And FBI and CIA and, you know, home, uh, the Homeland Security is coming after us. How would you feel, right? And they're going to take you down, right? How would you feel constantly? He becomes a broken man. But through harrowing experiences, God teaches David that he needed him. That David, more than anything, needed God. And in this final training, there was yet another strength, right? That, uh, that, uh, that God has to kind of deal with. And it was probably more than anything, a lesson on his charisma and leadership, right? He was a competent leader. I mean, he was fearless. He was valiant. I mean, like the, the duel with like Goliath, I mean, that just tells you, right, what kind of man he is. And you know, he just had that charisma about him, right? He, that, that, that kind of draw people in. There are some people who are like that. When you just, when somebody walks in, like it just, it, people just gravitate toward it. Right? He just has a magnetic like charm and winsome personality. He was one such guy. So, I mean, he was a fugitive. I mean, he, as a guy who was running for his life, and yet he led an army of some 600 warriors. I mean, what kind of fugitive would have such following, right? I mean, he was the original Robin Hood. You have to have some uh, charisma, winsome personality, and leadership. But what happens in this passage? The man who would go to hell and back would turn on him after they found out that while they were gone, led by David, that his family, all their, their sons and daughters, their parents, everybody, are gone the last stronghold of his confidence is shattered. More than anything, probably they thought, David thought, okay, at least I have my men here with me. David was a broken man here, and the only thing that he could do was to cry out to him. I think that's when God made David king. It was, it's not recorded, but if there were if there was a conversation between God and David here, it would, I, I would imagine it would go something like this. David, are you confident that you can be successful? No, Lord. Success and deliverance come only from you. Do you think you are a charismatic and a competent leader that inspires people to follow you? Probably David would have said, no, Lord. You see what they are saying? They are talking about stoning me. I'm not a competent leader. I have nothing going for me. Do you think that you are qualified to be a king? No, Lord. I'm not fit to lead anyone, let alone a kingdom. All I have is you. You are the true source of my strength. And probably at that time, probably they, uh, God would say, now you are ready to be king over my people. 
And anyone that God uses will go through his training. God will have to chisel you, deal with you, whatever that you, the, the, the flaws and then the weaknesses that we have, shortcomings that we have. God has to train us and bring us to the right place. His purpose is not to make us miserable, but to take away anything that we are banking on so that we may trust on God and him alone. So most likely that God allowed David to go through all this. And even in this final training, final step before becoming king, he had to deal with whatever that he was holding on to as his, you know, I can bank on this. When everything else fails, at least I can bank on my man. They've been, you know, they've, they've gone through so much battles and all those things, and yet they faithfully followed David, even though David was on the run. run. And yet they said, we still trust you are our leader. We believe you. So that's one thing. I think he was still holding on to. Other than God, I can depend on these guys. They would die for me. But in this passage, the very people that he trusted, the very people that he banked on more than anything else in, this life, in his life, they turned on him. So God had to teach him that he cannot turn, uh, depend on these guys either. David was a broken man, and that's something that God had to teach him. You are frail. You are weak apart from me. And the second thing that, that God wanted to teach, I believe, is that God's purpose will prevail. God wanted to teach David that his purpose will prevail. In the dark hour of his life, David, David found strength in the Lord, realizing that he cannot do anything on his own. Even the people that he truly believed in, believed in were turning on him. He literally had no one else on his side. And when he turned to God again, that's when things turned 180. They were able to rescue all the families. And he did not lift a finger. And Saul and his sons were gone in the battle that he was supposed to be in. And then without any bloodshed, he becomes king after this. Leading up to this passage, the prospect of his becoming king seemed very remote. I mean, forget about becoming king. He was barely surviving. Being king of Israel would have been the last thing on his mind. But it's when, because can you imagine, if put yourself in David's shoes. He comes back. His family and every one of his men's family are gone. Do you think, oh, so when am I, when, when am I going to be king? I don't think so. When he heard that his men are talking about stoning him. I think that would have been the furthest thing from his mind, becoming king of Israel. Right. But just when it appeared least likely, when David was at a low point in his life, not knowing, having no clue whatsoever of where his life was headed, God orchestrates everything and accomplishes his purpose. 
through David, God comes through for him in a truly unexpected way. Saul was gone. We won't have the full picture of what God is up to when we are going through difficult times, when we go through suffering, because the only thing that we can see is the obstacle and the mountain that are facing us right in front of us. But the scripture makes it clear that God has a purpose, and his purpose will prevail. Proverbs 19, verse uh, verse 21 says this. We have that? Yeah. Many are the plans in the mind of a man, but it is the purpose of the Lord that will stand. We may come up with a lot of plans, a lot of things. Oh, this is what I'm going to do. This is what my plan is. And once I, you know, once I do this and I'm going to have, you know, I'm going to move into a bigger house. You know, once I have enough money, I'm going to get a, be- a better car or, you know, all these things. We have all these plans for us, for our family, for our church and everything. But scripture makes it clear. We may have a lot of plans, but it is a purpose of the Lord that will stand. It is his plan, his purpose that will prevail over anything else. David and also foreshadows Christ. Here in this passage, David's closest allies turn on him after all that David has done for them, right? Provided leadership, shelter, and food, and everything for them. But they turned on him. And when everyone was against him, he turned to the Lord God and found strength. And he kept trusting in him. And after enduring all this, he led his people to victory. And he rescued their families. And he becomes king. He's exalted. Christ, the greater and better David, has come into this world, and he was rejected by everyone, including his own disciples. They spent three years with. They all rejected him, forsaken him. But Jesus trusted the Father, and he cried out in the Garden of Gethsemane, not my will, but yours be done. And even on the cross, as he's dying, as the Lord of life. He's the author of life, meaning he has the power and authority to give life and take away life. So he had absolutely every right for him to continue living. And yet, he obeyed the Father. Into your hands, I commit my spirit. The Son obediently fulfilled the Father's purpose for him. And that's what we see here in, in, through the life of David. What David has done and what he has gone through is a foreshadowing of our, what our Lord Jesus will have, will, uh, will have done. This passage shows us that God's calling for us does not really change. Even when it seems like a lost cause, even when it seems like it's a failure, that his calling and his purpose for us remains the same. When God calls us to certain tasks, certain things, even though when it 
doesn't seem like it, he will make sure that his purpose will prevail. Many, many, many years ago, I was part of a church plant. Uh, so a friend of mine and I uh, decided to plant a church together, full of ideals and excitement and vision. We started a church together, and it's just two of us. And then uh, the church uh, quickly grew, um, and it just in, a, in the first year of our church plan, from starting from two of us, it became like uh, 50 people, um, and then there's a lot of young people coming, exciting. Um, and then, uh, well, good thing that we don't have the live stream here. Uh, my, my friend, uh, pastor, uh, he had a moral failure, right? So he had to step down immediately. It was a shock. I didn't know what to do. Um, but, you know, the show must go on. I mean, life goes on, right? So, and then, so I was just doing whatever I could. But over time, you know, when two of us were doing, because we complemented each other pretty well, but when he was gone, there was a noticeable drop, right? Obviously, it was just me doing everything bef- uh, instead of two of us doing it. And so people started leaving, right? And, you know, like young people, they're very transitory. Like uh, people constantly just come in and out because of job situation, relationship things, and all these things. So, so we had more people leaving than coming in. So eventually, after, a few, uh, after six, seven years, we decided to disband, right? Because we just couldn't keep going the way it was going. And so at that time, so it made a very difficult ch- uh, decision to disband the church. So at that time, like, I felt like I was a failure, right? I was like, oh, man, we started a church, but then now here we are, like, became uh, one of the statistics of a church closing its door, right? So at that time, I was pretty low. It was uh, one of the, you know, probably the lowest point in my life when I was like, man, I'm a failure, right? I failed. I became one of the statistics that people talk about how, like, a lot of churches, they just, within the first five, six, seven years of starting a church, they close down their uh, church door. That's me. So I was... Uh, I, was, I was like, man, how can God use someone like me, right? And so I felt like a failure, and I thought, so at that time, I was like, maybe I should just like, start looking into just getting a regular job, right? Um, maybe ministry is not for me. Uh, maybe God, maybe that was just for a season that God has called me into uh, ministry, but maybe, you know, I failed, right? What more can I say? I failed, and so just the sense of failure was so overwhelming, I, I uh, considered, like, seriously just uh, looked into, like, different job, you know, job uh, mark. I mean, I didn't really seriously look into it, but I seriously thought about it, just quitting everything. Um, but God was gracious um, and allowed me to stay in ministry uh, after that. And one thing that I realized is, wow, even though there was a failure, right, but God's, one thing that, uh, there was this one moment that I, I still clearly remember where uh, there was a time that I was praying and struggling with this whole, what's my future? What are we going to say to people? I failed. I failed the church plant. I'm a failed person. Uh, but as I was praying, I clearly remember that one time when God reminded me of the first moment that I, uh, like, uh, committing myself to full-time ministry. I remember the time clearly. And that picture just came to me so vividly. I was like, oh, my gosh, right? And so to me, that was a confirmation 
that God still had a calling for me to stay in ministry. Because otherwise, probably because I was so shaken up and I wasn't really sure about the future, because uh, I was seriously thinking maybe I should just forget the ministry and just go find a job at 7-Eleven or something, or flipping burger at McDonald's. Um, so, uh, but that really, that vivid encounter that I had with the Lord in, in, in prayer, reminding me of that time that I, you know, committed myself to full-time ministry, that gave me, like, the, the reassurance and there's a, the confirmation that maybe God has, you know, God's calling me hasn't changed. So that in, enabled me to stay in ministry to a point now where God has li- led me to this place. Um, God does not really, when God calls us to certain, certain things, doesn't really change his calling. He does not say, okay, what's my plan B here? This guy failed. So what's my plan B? Who am I going to go with? Right. But if you look at the Bible, it's full of stories like that. Jonah, he really failed. When God called him to go to Nineveh, what did he do? He said, forget it. I don't want to go to, uh, to, to, uh, to uh, Ninevites, right? The, the nemesis of Israel at the time, uh, and just preach the, uh, the, 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 the message of the repentance, then they're going to be saved. If they repent, they're going to be saved. We don't want that. I want them to be, be perished, right? So that Israel will be spared from their, uh, you know, attacks and all these things. So he runs the other way, right? He failed, and yet his calling, God's calling on Jonah's life, did not change because he failed. Peter, same thing. After three years of being with the, the most, probably the, the number one guy, he failed. He denied Jesus. They all failed. But God's calling on them has not changed. God will give us grace and strength to accomplish his purpose through us. He knows who we are. I mean, let's be honest. Right. He knows our sinfulness, our ugliness, better than ourselves. Whatever the, the idea that we have about who we are, how unworthy or, uh, you know, how messed up we are inside, but that's only like small fraction, a small like tip of an iceberg that we know about ourselves. God knows far more how, how unworthy we are. And yet, with all that, he still calls us to follow him and to accomplish his mission. Let us trust God who is calling us to fulfill his purpose. And that is what we are created for. God knows. But God wants to teach us in our lives that we are but a frail man whatever that we are banking on, whatever that we are trusting in, whether it be people or things of this world. He says, let go of this. If you don't, still hold on to it. No, God, you can't take away everything else, but not this. Not this. God will work on that too, so that we may be fit, so that we may understand that apart from the Lord, there is no hope, there is no source of strength. God may very well deal with it. The longer we hold on to it, the harder we try to just grasp or latch on to it, the harder the fall may be. But God has to do it so that we may be prepared to do his work, so that we may be ready 
to take on the task and the calling that he gives to us. Let us also, God, will do his part to make sure that his will and his purpose will prevail no matter what, even when it seems the least likely, even when we seem like, I failed God. Okay? I let him down. Okay? There's no way God can use me again. God will, not, God will turn to somebody else. But no, his calling, his purpose for us, each and every one of us, it will stay. He will continue to call us, continue to shape us and mold us, break us, deal with us in such a way that we will be ready and be transformed to take on the, uh, the task he has, he has for us. May that be our understanding um, and our attitude before him. Let's pray.